Right. Uh, hi there, everyone. Um, I'm not sure how many of uh, you know that, uh, that un unfortunately, the, the demonstrations that I had planned for today, um, working off a table that was supposed to look a little bit like this, this is me and, and Karlsruhe uh, just recently, um, have in fact uh, been uh, prohibited uh, because they breach certain uh, legal reg regulations and there was nothing at all that could be done about it uh, from the purposes of the, um, well, the best efforts of the, of the team here. Um, uh, I'd like to thank um, Katarina Meyer for doing her very best with her team to try and allow me to be able to do the demonstrations that I'd wanted to do today. Unfortunately, um, it is uh, not uh, feasible or possible, apparently. A bit disappointing for me, but nonetheless, um, it, it does relate quite, acute, quite acutely to the very um, basic premise, or at least the spine of my, of my talk today, which is really on um, the politics of spectrum. What, what can and can't we do, as, as the, uh, the, the person introducing me just, uh, just said, with, uh, with radio, with this, with this whole domain of electromagnetic spectra. Um, so uh, my talk is called TXRX. Uh, I've, I've adapted my talk at the last minute in order to, uh, in order to fill in those gaps that I would otherwise be doing demonstrations. TX and, and RX are, are a, a, a common technical terms for transmit and receive. Um, and I'll unpack that a little bit more over the course of, of this, this talk, so we'll understand really um, why I've called my talk um, precisely that. Um, but I'll just get off um, with a bit of theory, and, and, and given the fact that I, ha I don't have the, the, the joy of being able to fiddle with all of my, um, my toys on stage, I'm just going to walk through um, some theory and then straight into uh, a whole bunch of projects that I have made or made with others my studio partners uh, in particular, and a, a project by a couple of my studio partners independently. Um, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll get a sense of, of, of where this is going. So I want to start with a, with a, a really important quote by a, a very sharp um, a French philosopher, Bruno Latour, that, that I, I think is a, is a very uh, valuable framing for some of these techno-political questions that we face today, especially as regards radio and the right of broadcast. Um, and, and understanding the world that we live in on a technical uh, level. When a machine runs efficiently, when a matter of fact is settled, one need focus only on its inputs and outputs and not on its internal complexity. Thus, paradoxically, the more that science and technology succeed, in other words, the, the more they get better at doing what they want to do, the more opaque and obscure they become. So there's this question of, of, of visibility that we face a lot um, and, and understanding the, the, the very technical constituents of, of the world that we live in. Especially, I, I notice myself uh, working with uh, the circuit boards or PCBs, as the years have, have, have gone on, as I'm, as I'm, I'm learning to read them and, and work with them um, more and more, they're also getting smaller and smaller, so I'm having to use my studio partner's massive magnifying glass with a light underneath it just to be able to even see some of the components on those, on those boards. Um, we can think of that, of that uh, as regards infrastructure um, in the context of the black box. Um, Bruno Latour was very well known for uh, popularizing this term in, 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 in thinking about uh, processes, uh, technical processes, and very much, uh, I think, after, long after he has, in fact, uh, formulated this and popularized it, uh, we see its, its, its ever-reaching... Um, uh, um, use or usefulness uh, in understanding where we are today. One can think of, uh, for instance, a smartphone as a, as a, as a black box of sorts. Uh, we don't necessarily understand how it, it works 
all the, 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 the constituent components of that smartphone, but as long as our input, the input that we give the smartphone, returns the expected output, we don't feel a need to, to really read any deeper or, or, to, or to dig in any further. But all the while, there can be this feedback control loop that we're completely unaware of. That could be, for instance, uh, uh, a, little, a little application on the phone that is just taking note of the, of, of the, 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 the rhythm, if you like, of the way that we type on that phone. Um, when we use that phone, what we do on that phone and when, and, and maybe the particular way that we might sort of thumb scroll or, or swipe or whatever, and all of that can, can be used to fingerprint precisely who we are to, to, to determine behavioural um, habits and tendencies and maybe uh, get a sense of what we do and don't like and a bit more about who we are. That part is hidden from us and that makes the black box particularly black. Now, when, when, we, when we start looking at, at engineering, um, which is naturally quite an unpopular um, uh, discipline within the, within the humanities, at least to, to, to bring up, to bring forward for, for conversation. We already understand engineering to be somehow a little bit kind of closed. You know? It's almost as though engineering is, is a black box of its own. It's built in uh, into a box such that it only serves this dictionary definition of the practical application of science to commerce or industry. It's not like it, it, it encourages us to, to better understand uh, the many disciplines of engineering and the impact on the way that we, um, on the way that we live through the use of it. Um, applied um, more broadly to infrastructure, uh, we look at communications infrastructure, which will feature heavily in this talk. Uh, here is uh, a beautiful example of what I refer to as extroverted infrastructure. It's unlike the, the fiber optic cables under our pavements and our streets, um, you know, we, we see the road, the pavements opened up and we have a little bit of a peek just to catch a, a rare glimpse at some of those cables. They're otherwise hidden. Here in Stockholm in the late 1800s, 1890, um, this is a, is, a, is a telephone route routed literally through this, this, this huge architectural structure up above the city of Stockholm. It was said that, that following these, these lines of hair as they, as they move across the city and through this router, you could actually trace where your call would go and how it would be routed just by, by looking at these, at these lines and understanding how they might branch out into different um, suburbs or districts of Stockholm back then. And this is a very, you might say, a social um, um, infrastructure, one that presents itself outwardly and even invites reading and study. Um, compared that to, for instance, the telecommunications infrastructure that we work with today, um, we've just got these blank blooms, you know, these directional GSM antennae sitting up on top of roofs. I, I, I think of them as like Steinpilzer, like, uh, like there's mushrooms, you know, of sorts, up on top of the buildings. We have no idea which provider is responsible for, responsible for, for putting that particular directional antenna up on that, on that cell tower, which is, comprises what's called a base station, Cell Tower has many base stations. We, we don't really know um, uh, uh, not only who is responsible for it, but, but, but even really how they work. We, we can't trace our calls uh, in the same way that we could with that other work of, of, of extroverted infrastructure, despite the fact that it is sort of hidden in plain sight. A vast number of people seem to believe that, um, that our calls and our texts actually go through space somehow. And this isn't because those people are at all... Um, stupid. Um, it's just by virtue of the fact that, that we are not taught in the same way as we are how the solar system works or maybe how a flower works, precisely how this, this infrastructure that we use every single day works. 
I mean, people might ask, where does my voice go when I make a call? Well, to be clear, it, it, will, it will go from one's handset through to uh, one of these uh, base stations via the directional antenna, and then actually down into internet infrastructure and be routed across internet infrastructure to pop out again to another one of these base stations and onto another handset, another, another smartphone typically these days. Here's another example, but outside of the infrastructural um, uh, space, just looking at, at, at a work of engineering, a very, very popular work of engineering in its time. This is the, the shit-hot MP3 player of the day, you know, back then. That was the, the, the thing you had to have. Um, and this, for me, is, is very much a, a, a social or extroverted um, open work of engineering in that all of its inner functionality is expressed outwardly. You can, you can see the energy input is where one turns that handle, turns that crank. That's putting energy into the system. We see the platter will then start to spin. And then if you look closely, you'll see that that needle is actually winding its way toward the center of that, of that record. And all the while, sound is coming out of this, this, this bloom you know, at the top, this, this, this huge um, mouth, if you like, that literally in its very form itself, describes amplification. It literally says, you know, I'm going, I'm going to take the sound from small and make it big. But all of its inner functionality is expressed outwardly. So in, in this way, as, as, a, as a social work of engineering, we can quite acutely um, and critically compare it to something, something like the iPod Nano, which is just a field of, of, of surfaces, as a, a surface of, of, of metaphors. It's a field of metaphors that actually skin it's, it's in a functionality. And in fact, unlike the, the gramophone, there's almost no one that you or I know that would be able to open up that iPod Nano and tell you precisely how all of its inner um, components work to produce this experience. It's, a, it's, it's entirely um, opaque, even if we can open it up. And by virtue of the fact that it's just, it's just wrapped up in patents, unlike a bicycle, for instance, which we're encouraged to, to, to manipulate, to fix, um, by opening it up, we, we, we actually traverse a legal threshold that, that results in us no longer having the same rights of ownership that we, that, that we did previously, the, the warranty. Now, take that up back to the um, infrastructure. You can ask people, you know, what is the internet? And they, they will not be able to clearly and immediately answer that question. I mean, again, children learn more about how the solar system works or how a flower works than they do um, uh, something that they would use every day. You can ask someone curiously how, um, how the postcard you sent them arrives in their, in their post box, and they'll be able to give you a relatively coherent description as to how that postcard uh, left your hands and then went all the way through this postal system, through post, using postcodes, postlight Zahlen, um, and, and is maybe carried by, by bikes, is carried by, by vans or whatever, to other parts of town where it's sorted and then delivered. And... and Yet you'd ask that same person how the email that you sent them landed in the inbox, and they would immediately be reaching for, for magic realism, for high surrealism, in fact. I've heard beautiful stories about flocks of birds. You know, an email breaks up into flocks of birds that sort of fly through the pipes of the internet, and then there's a leader bird, and weirdly, that's actually kind of close to the way that packets work in some ways, but I've also heard emails go via space and all sorts of things, you know, um, and that's, again, it's not a matter of ignorance, um, sorry, stupidity, it's just a matter of, of a basic level of ignorance that, that, uh, that has techno-political consequences. 
there is a, there is a, a significant advantage in, and an economic advantage too, in, uh, in people not quite knowing how the technology they use works. Um, here is, for instance, a, a, a huge um, uh, part of the physical layer of the internet. This is a data center. And these data centers are, are, are built into, into, the, into landscapes, often buffered from, from view with, uh, with, with trees around them. And we see over here all these air conditioning vents stuck, the air conditioning um, systems stuck into the side. Constantly, um, uh, this, this data center constantly requires water, like all data centers, to be pumped into those air conditioning systems just to keep the things cool, to keep our data cool. Um, you know, you can safely say that your, 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 your drunken tweets, your Facebook wall, are, um, they're, they're, they're buried underground, surrounded by shareholders, lawyers, a couple of submachine guns, barbed wire, and, and a lot of tax. You know, and that's, that's really the, sort of a geophysical um, and, 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 uh, and political reality to, um, to, to, to the internet. Again, it's just these cables, um, cables and cables and cables, switches and routers. Routers are devices that just connect two networks together. And compared to you know, what we're given, however, the, the, the predominant image um, is, is, is the cloud. This, this patronizing, if you like, children's book metaphor of a, of a deterritorialized um, sort of ephemeral thing. A cloud doesn't belong to a particular country or, or a place. We don't say, that's a French cloud. You know, go back home, French cloud. You know, we don't say that. You know, that's a German cloud. They sort of, they come and go. And, and uh, I, I was taking a flight over to the US uh, a, a while ago, and there was a man next to me. We were, we were all going to, um, to LAX, Los Angeles airport, and he was going on to, um, to, to, to San Fran. I, I could hear him talking very, very loudly about his entire trip. And, um, and, and he, he said, just before we took the flight, on the phone to his friend, man, I'm just going to push it up to the cloud, and then when I bounce down on LAX, I'm going to suck it down. He's talking about this data. He's going to push the data up into the cloud, and when he bounces down into LAX, he's going to suck it down again. And he was actually doing this with his finger and doing, doing that too. You know? he, he was referring to the data going somehow upward. You know? And... That's not too surprising, given the fact that in a major survey um, done in the, United, in the United States a few years ago, it was found that 53% of Americans um, surveyed uh, believe that um, cloud computing is affected by bad weather, <laughs> which, which is a grim state of affairs. I mean, if you've got people really, you know, really thinking that, you know, we are in, we are in, a, in a little bit of trouble. Um, and that's, um, and again, that's not by virtue of the fact that they, are, that they might be... Um, um, just you know, any more ignorant than the rest of us. It's just that there is a, a significant lack of, of, of meaningful engagement with something we use every day. Instead, you know, the internet used to be much more of a wild west, and now it's just this sort of, these are all the different things you can do. You know? <laughs> it's, like, it's just these, this re-centralization around, around core services. Another, another uh, you know, very important part of the physical reality of, 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 of communication infrastructure, particularly internet infrastructure, is, uh, is the, of course, the submarine cable network, which I've been talking about for, uh, for, for quite some years now. Um, there is a submarine cable uh, severed right in, in half, or at least a slice of one. You can see these cores. And these connect whole countries. There's almost none of that um, submarine cable infrastructure is is publicly owned. It's almost entirely privatized. 
I love this image. You might, have, you might have seen it before. I've been using this one in talks quite a bit. It's a shark attacking a submarine cable. And um, unfortunately for Google, it just seems that the sharks really like Google's um, submarine cables for some reason. And that marine biologists, people that study sharks particularly, have been trying to work out why it is that sharks are attacking submarine cables. And apparently there is something about a, a, a sort of like a... A, an ultrasonic signature or, or, or signal that emanating uh, from a sort of a, I guess, a resonant harmonic or something from the cables that, that might be um, similar to that which fish, a certain fish that shark, sharks really like to eat makes when they're dying or something like that. So, that, I mean, my theory might be that sharks would like us to spend more time in the ocean and less time on the internet. I mean, that's maybe, maybe one way of thinking about it. I don't know getting a bit reachy there, but I like this um, image too of the, of the shark just a second later, just putting a bit of, putting a bit of arse into it, really having a good go. Um, anyway, all said, engineering is simply far too important to be left to the experts. We, we, we can't really say that, uh, that unless, we can, unless we can critically, descriptively, descriptively conceptually engage the, the engineered constituents of the, of the world that we live in, a world which is just increasingly engineered, a, a life support system, if you like, a nest holding us up of technology, supports our very existence every day. So unless we can, we can meaningfully, and even just diagrammatically, describe how they interrelate, we, can't, we cannot say that we can critically engage the world that we live in. Uh, and, 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 and a lot is at stake there, as we've seen, of course, with mass surveillance, institutionalised mass surveillance, um, and far beyond. So critical engineering was, a, um, was initially a, a provocation by um, my studio partners, um, uh, Daniel Vasiliev, uh, uh, Gordon Savicic and myself in 2011. We, we wrote a manifesto, the Critical Engineering Manifesto, which was very quickly um, uh, translated into 15 languages by, by volunteers and is now taught in many universities around the world and manifesto can be seen in hack labs and, and, and the like. And we do a lot of teaching within this frame. Critical engineering, um, we, we decided to adopt this. This is our logo, so we could say that, you know, critical engineering is everywhere. In fact, in fact here, here in Europe, this is the logo that's most present in, in everyone's life. It's just that we don't... It's much more present than Coca-Cola, than, than Facebook or Twitter or Google. This, this logo is throughout the products of your home. I mean, if, if, you, if you buy baby food, it's got CE on it, you know. In anywhere there is, some, um, th there is some engineering done, any making done, a product, fab fabrication done, and if it's to be sold in Europe as a product, it has critical engineering, our logo on it, which is kind of nice. We haven't gotten in trouble for that yet, but anyway, critical engineering, you could say, is a frame for applied research and development that positions engineering rather than art or design as being primary within the creative and critical process. It seeks to answer questions surrounding influence and control in a world of integrated systems and closed, opaque technology. And today, of course, I'm going to be talking about, about radio. And, and radio, I, I want us to be able to expand radio to be beyond AM and, and FM, but to understand that radio encompasses Wi-Fi, GPS, CDMA, GSM... Um, it's a, it, it is such a, a fundamentally transformative technology that you can quite safely say that it has, it has absolutely changed even the very shape of countries themselves. Um, since the, 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 the birth of, of radio, uh, the, the, the battlefield has entirely changed. Uh, we see scouts 
no longer needing to be running out across enemy lines. Um, we, can, we can send um, uh, commands over, over vast distances. Um, rockets can be propelled to do things like getting, um, getting men to the moon, etc., etc., or hopefully women too. But um, Radio occupies a small part of what's considered to be the electromagnetic uh, spectrum. Um, and, and so typically in, when it was when it was introduced in a, in a Western context, it was called wireless, confusingly. I'd like to think of it as being both a material for, for, for creative and critical play, but also a kind of a territory, a, a site. Starting with AM, I, I wanted to do an AM um, uh, demonstration today, and while that part seemed possible, uh, it, it was sort of meaningless outside of the scope of me doing these other two interventions, GSM and, and, and Wi-Fi. But AM um, is often called uh, medium wave uh, here in Germany. This is the part of the spectrum it, it, it works with. And, and even radio itself is a highly uh, um, coveted territory for the right to read and also the right of broadcast. Like, why can't I set up my own radio station, for instance? Why can't I build my own radio infrastructure? This has been questions going right back into, the, again, the pirate radio um, era of challenges um, within this domain of spectral politics. Here's a beautiful image um, of... It's, it's, an, it's an Atlanta social club in 1920 of, 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 of literally... This, this was like a radio dance party. People would stand around a, a radio put headphones on and dance to, to music that was being broadcasted from a, a dance hall somewhere else in town. And they were grouped around this, 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 this work of engineering and literally dancing with phones on. Things were a little easier there in America than they were here in Germany, for instance, where, and this is 1922, this is a man um, uh, with a radio receiver that he has purchased that's just fixed to one channel. He was only allowed to listen to one channel, so you'd have to buy a whole piece of hardware um, he, was only, he had not the, the right to read, the right to listen to anything else. This was distributed by the, um, the German post office. So, yeah, rights of broadcast. Well, um, I, I've been making uh, AM transmitters. Uh, I'm really fascinated with making them as simply as possible. This is just a, um, a very simple design made by someone else. You can literally just for a few components make a transmitter that you can broadcast and say one megahertz and you could plug in your phone and, and, and broadcast uh, music. You could also use it in protests, or you could perhaps even pass information across two otherwise geographically uh, distant territories. And this, this, I mean, as simple as this, but even this itself is, is a is, is a is a is a illegal work. To make this and to deploy it traverses several different um, thresholds of law, and it's, it's in its simplest form. Um, a project I, I made that wanted to, I guess, was a commission piece um, in, in two, 2015, sought to, to, to explore this, this challenge of, of broadcast a little, but also really try and draw a line between the very origins of radio and, 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 and the world that we live in today. I wanted to, um, to, to make an absolutely original um, crystal radio set. And I, I worked with a guy in Birmingham in the, in the UK because it was not possible for me to actually wind that coil. But it, it's, it's beautiful. The crystal radio set requires absolutely no electricity. It literally just takes electromagnetic energy from the very air itself and, and uses that for both its amplification and its, its, its decoding, if you, could, if you could refer to it as that. On one end, I had a, um, a, a, a little computer 
that was mining um, uh, military uh, websites and military news, looking at the latest and greatest um, um, information about communications technology in the battlefield, and that was being um, broadcast um, inside that space, but then picked up by this crystal radio set that it has a little um, zincite and galena crystals that, that are semiconductive, and they filter out every, everything that's unwanted and only to the, um, to, to the broadcast, which is a text-to-speech um, uh, synopsis of future combat systems in the battlefield played back through the past of, of, of its very beginnings in the form of this crystal radio. I mean, it's a conceptual piece, but nonetheless, it was very important for me in my own work to, to get right down to the to the almost spooky roots. It almost looks like a kind of like a pagan, um, I don't know, it's almost ritualistic tech or something like this. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's remarkable for, for, for me in the process of doing this just to remind myself that electromagnetic energy is a resource in the very air around us. I mean, right now, of course, there are PNGs, GIFs, and JPEGs trying to make their way through, through our bodies. The air is very much a cable these days, but there is this energy in the air itself that can be drawn from to, 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 to power a work of technology. But if, if the air that I breathe is considered public, then why not that which passes through it? I mean, if, I, if I'm breathing this air right now and there is data in the air that I'm breathing, what can I do with it? I mean, am, I, am I allowed to listen to that, to that data? We have this question of unintended emissions. You know, um, a, there's, a couple of, um, <laughs> there's a couple of people, I think this is... This is World War I, listening to unintended emissions with their special, special gear. It's just amazing that it actually existed. People were doing that. Um, I really want... Maybe I should just make one of those, actually, for myself. It's awesome. <laughs> Party gear. Um, so, getting... Going a bit further, um, right up the spectrum, now into the millimetre wavelength, very, very tiny, high data potential um, wavelengths of Wi-Fi, 2.4 gigahertz to 2.5 gigahertz, and here in this room are 5 gigahertz. Um, there's a tremendous amount of data just in the air itself, and one of the, 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 the demonstrations that I wanted to do was just show you how it's possible to pull images out of the air and synthesize them um, in, in very much in real, in real time. Um, the Transparency Grenade uh, is a piece uh, I made in 2012 for a big exhibition in the Haus der Kultur in der Welt. Um, here in, in Germany, our studio was commissioned to make 10 works. The Transparency Grenade uh, sought to explore some of these tensions around the volatility of data. And uh, I worked with, um, with uh, Suzanne uh, uh, Stauk. She um, is a very, very talented designer and a teacher of many things. And one of the things she's very good at also is metalworking. And, um, and this object uh, was made. It's got a resin housing, um, all silver work uh, done by, by, by Suzanne. And inside is a, is a tiny little embedded computer running um, a stripped-down Linux operating system. And when you pull the pin, all of the data in the air around the grenade is sucked into the, into the grenade, if you like, and then it is sent over an encrypted tunnel to my server where it is mined um, for its, its, its constituent components, JPEGs, PNGs, GIFs, email fragments, uh, HTML fragments. And it's, it's rendered on a publicly accessible website um, with a... With, at, at the location of the, the so-called data deton detonation. Someone could, for instance, stand outside of, a, of, a, of an otherwise closed meeting and, and, and pull the pin to leak the, the data contents of that meeting. Of course, I've never used it as such. It, it's merely um, a, 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 a very sort of volatile and in many ways a violent um, image, you might say. It's based on the Soviet F1 uh, hand grenade. 
and supposed to explore those tensions of data leaking. And it was just before Snowden um, was, uh, was um, uh, you know, Snowden's revelations hit the press. Im- importantly, I, I, I sought to get the kinds of responses with this piece. Uh, well, that's me trying to take it through an airport yet again, the bomb squad, and this, this man's hitting the phone out of my hand as I'm trying to take a photo of him. But you can see the grenade sitting there on the... On, on the table. I mean, if it's so dangerous, they were just—they actually wanted to pull the pin, you know, the bomb squad. Like, let's give this a try. Um, unusual people, really. But um, when I exhibit it, I exhibit it inside a vitrine like this, and uh, the, the the data extracted immediately from the from the grenade is presented on a on a projection behind. And I've shown this in, in some really big uh, museums, in particular the Nemo Museum in Amsterdam. I, I saw. A, a, a much broader mix of people than you'd otherwise see in a, in a media art kind of context. And the ideal um, uh, outcome for me is seeing what I saw there, which was, which was a, a, a woman holding a phone with, with her, her daughter and what appeared to be her father, and all standing around with this perfect mix of, of excitement and fear on their faces, you know, as they're realizing that the images that they're viewing in websites are are being directly synthesized and presented by the grenade. So I've changed the relationship with the smartphone and maybe we'll push them to use um, encryption uh, solutions to avoid uh, that in future and we'll often follow up with a workshop. There's another image of the, of the grenade there. There's the, the very first version, all the parts laid out. But yeah, the, the, the right to read. I mean, people will ask, is the transparency grenade, is it illegal? Well. Well, no, it's not at all, really. I mean, it, well, it certainly shouldn't be. If I'm in a park and there's a couple having a, having, a, having a searing argument and they're yelling at each other and I'm overhearing them having that argument, am I spying on them? Well, I'm not spying on them. I'm just over, overhearing them. And so if I, as an, as, an, as an artist and a technologist, if I want to work with the data in the air, again, the air that I breathe, um, why, why can I not make that a source for, or a site for creative and critical play. And, and the workshops that we teach the studio, this is very much in the foreground, the right to read. Um, taken, taken further, however, if I was to... Um, um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with, with Rammstein uh, here in Germany. It's, it's not, not the band. I'm not going to start putting up a Rammstein music video or talking about them in the context of this talk, but the, rather the airfield here in Germany. It was... It was not known to, to the vast variety of Germans or the world as a whole that, that all of the, the, the Predator and Reaper drones, all of those targeted killings, were in fact being controlled entirely through a relay here in Germany. Every single um, drone um, death, every, every drone that has instigated that death um, in Somalia, um, I believe Pakistan, but certainly Yemen and Afghanistan, has been controlled through an airfield here in Germany. And the German government denied that uh, extensively, said it's just not the case, until Spiegel finally proved it with a bunch of uh, leaks. This is the Rammstein's uh, airbase. And um, up here, we'll see there's a little tiny... I'll zoom in over here. There's a little tiny cluster of, of satellites, satellite dishes. What happens is, is people in, in, um, in an in a, um, in a, in a underground sort of compound in, in Nevada... Um, drone pilots uh, log in through a fiber optic, um, 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 a long series of fiber optic uh, uh, networks, cables, all the way to Rammstein base, uh, where they actually then log into the drone itself through Rammstein via a satellite that is literally conveyed by these, these dishes. So satellites sit 
up over or geostationary satellites near battlefields. And, the, um, and the, 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 the relaying is done entirely through them via Rammstein. So, of course, there's been, um, there's been uh, court cases, you know, the, the like um, war crimes. Is, where is Germany's position in this, in these targeted killings? Germany is literally a, a conveyor, a collaborator here. This is a, this is, these, are, these are some big questions. Um, w- were I able to, or were anyone able to read that airspace above Rammstein, we could maybe have known that there was something going on. We could have explored um, a, a other ways rather than leaks or, or public pressure. The, the air merely above it. Um, here, for instance, uh, this is Elon Musk's SpaceX launching Enrol 76, which is a satellite that we're not allowed to know anything about. It's a spy satellite whose only job is to, is to, is to surveil. I mean, Elon Musk is a, is a lovely guy when he's pushing solar panels, but, I mean, if he's, he's actually pushing, you know, black boxes with a thousand ears and eyes up into, up into space just to spy on us, um, this, is, uh, this is something of a worry. Why are we not allowed to know anything about all this, and, and, and how can we maybe use our right to read to, to, to change the conversation there a bit? Well, the Deep Sweep in 2015 is a project by um, myself, um, Daniel Vasiliev and Ben Siolan that, that really um, seeks to tackle this problem of, of, of all of that air above our cities, above us, being a kind of a black box of their own. There's all of um, these, these, mach- these machines, um, unmanned autonomous vehicles and, and semi-autonomous vehicles, um, that we as taxpayers are effectively paying for, that we're, we're not allowed to know anything about. And only by virtue of the fact that we don't have access to that airspace can we um, learn anything about them at all. So we decided to put up a, um, a, a weather balloon um, that would burst when it gets to between 24,000 and, and, and 30,000 metres above the surface of the Earth. And, and attached to the bottom of that weather balloon a, um, a, a, a payload that contains um, a whole bunch of of, 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 of equipment designed entirely to read different parts of the spectrum, such that we might... Like, like a flatbed scanner, it will scan everything from the radio-wise, everything from the Earth, all the way to the edge of space. And then we might be able to then pass on that, that data to the data visualisation community and also analyse it ourselves to try and look for devo- machine signatures um, of, of, of equipment um, from satellites to, um, to vehicles that we're otherwise not allowed to know about. Let's play a, a, a video. We did two launches, um, one of which uh, landed, the, the, the second successful launch landed in, in Belarus. Uh, it, was, it was just over a thousand kilometers from our, a launch site in uh, Magdeburg here in Germany. And, um, and of course the people that found it believed that we must be spies spying on the Belarusian government and we had to fight for days to actually get the, 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 the stuff back. But I'll just play it. Um, it's a relatively melancholic video, but you see a bit from it.
We really thought it was going to hit those trees, but it, it, it didn't. I mean, it was weeks of work. <laughs> you can see the parachute in the middle there. That's enacted when the balloon bursts. The actual Gehausen, the, the hull of it itself, is, is, uh, is obviously very reflective. And that's deliberate. It means that it can be, um, it can be easily spotted by air, tra air, air traffic control. Um, but also, we, we work, it's made of two uh, sort of surveillance dishes that you'll see in shops. So the shop owner or the person behind the desk can see around the corner. So, but it reflects the world as it goes up. We like that, um, that metaphor. As I say, kind of melancholic. So, um, uh, on, on now to uh, one of my favorite projects of all time by, uh, by my studio partners, uh, Gordon Savicic, uh, co-author of the Critical Engineering Manifesto, and uh, Bengt Siolin from Sweden, is Packet Brooker. Um, Packet, uh, um, Packet Bridge, if you like, uh, re really explores uh, one of the principal tenets of the, of the, uh, of the, the manifesto, the critical engineer recognizes that each work of engineering engineers its user proportional to that user's dependency upon it. And what they did is, is they, they, rec they uh, recognized that there was this, this sort of, um, if you like, a, it's, it's a kind of an exploit, or at least a vulnerability in the, in the way that we use um, maps on, on, on our smartphones. That, um, that as, a re as a result of what was called Location Gate in 2011, where Apple was discovered to have been collecting um, a vast amount of, of, of information um, on every handset without the user knowing it as to the precise position of, of, the, of, of that phone at any given time. Every single second it was on for up to a year was, was recorded. Researchers found that they could just extract that data and then pinpoint precisely where that person was. Um, Apple uh, initially, as they do, avoided entirely talking about it. But, um, but it, it, was, it was certainly a big deal in the iPhone 4. Um, and of course, Google jumped in and said, um, Apple, it's disgusting. It's exactly the kind of thing you do, Apple. It's just, and then Google was found to be doing precisely the same thing with, um, with working with this company, Skyhawk Wireless, um, and also Carrier IQ 2, which was effectively spyware in, in, installed on um, Android handsets in a location that was very, very, in, 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 a, in a manner that was very difficult to detect. And what, what that, um, that software was doing was it's just keeping a track of every single 
BSSID, if you like, or every, every MAC address of, of, of every access point as a person moved through the world. And based on, you know, when you have layers and layers and layers of, of that logged data, it can be together combined to precisely trilaterate where those static stations are, those access points, just like the access points we have at home or whatever. And in and, and, and doing that, you sort of build up this fine-grained, high-resolution mesh um, as, a, as, a, as, if you like, a, a kind of a topology, um, not a topology, a point cloud, I should say, such that you can then locate a person's handset inside that point cloud at any two-dimensional point cloud at any given time. And this is what, what we're using, little, little, little did we know then, what we're using um, when we are, um, when we are um, uh, GPS doesn't work and we switch to, to Wi-Fi-based location. So what they did is they um, set up a tree of radios in our, in our studio and in the exhibition in the House of Culture and Develop, they had the sister tree of radios there operating on every, every, they had 14 channels of, 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 uh, of, of radios there. Um, collecting those, those, those MAC addresses, and they were funneled over an encrypted tunnel all the way into um, the House of Culture and Develop, where they were injected back into the air again. And you'd have people, um, 2,000 people came to our opening that night. Um, it was part of Transmediala, so it was a big, it was a big deal. And um, you'd have people walking out of the House of Culture and Develop, looking at Google Maps uh, on their phones, looking for restaurants and cafes and bars that didn't exist in Tear Garden, where, where that, that museum is. They exist around our studio. So they've actually folded one, one part of the, the map of the city over the other, and they've since done that between, uh, say, Seoul and, and Sao Paulo and the like. You, you have this, um, this kind of cartographic um, um, manipulation, but the, the trust layer, the belief that we have in the functioning of Google Maps is so strong that people will still group around that phone and believe that, in fact, it must be telling the truth somehow. And this is a beautiful example of, of an intervention on, on the belief um, uh, layer, if you like, of our relationship with, with technology. Um, also, the, the critical engineer deconstructs and incites suspicion of these rich user experiences. And that, I think, was, was, was well um, enacted there. Men in Grey, a project by um, Daniel Vasiliev and myself in 2009, um, back when it was paranoid to talk about mass surveillance, we, we, we felt like we really need to get out in the street and, and performatively engage people um, about those unintended emissions. And, um, I mean, here, for instance, just, just by example, right here in this, in this, in this room, um, um, what have we got here? Um, M1NG, stop one zero. Yeah, I'll do that. M1NG, start one zero. Let's have a look here. Just to give you an, a sense of, of it. What we, um, what we see here is, is a whole bunch of those stations, that those, those MAC addresses um, up here uh, from, from actual access points. My, my specially configured card here is jumping between channels, but down here in this, under the stations column, we see all of your smartphones, we see your smartphones, your iPads, your laptops, with these unique identifiers that, that can actually be tracked, obviously, right across town. Um, you might think your phone is, is, is off just when the screen is blank, but in fact, it's talking about you behind your back. You'll see, you'll see cafes you visited in the past, um, your aunt's printer coming up in these probe requests. Just as a very quick example of, 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 of the kind of um, unintended emissions that we're talking about and say something like the Wi-Fi domain. Someone will go to a, um, to a bar that they would rather not um, someone, you know, someone else know that they, 
were went to. Um, maybe it's a work colleague or, or a significant other in their life. And, um, and if they connect to a Wi-Fi network there, then those probe requests will, um, will be emitted ever, ever after unless that's cleared by the user manually on the phone. And so we see phones talking about where we've been behind our back um, uh, very often. Now, it's all very well getting up on stage and showing that, but it, getting out in the street is sometimes the best way of, of communicating um, some of these ideas. But also the fact that the data um, around a device, if you like, or at least as a function of its, of its transaction with an access point, can be um, externally um, uh, received and synthesized. At the nodes of the network, computers which are uh, of a multi-flight class, or essentially a major computer utility, which is capable of, <coughs> of manipulating information, because uh, the network itself doesn't hold information, doesn't keep information. It's an important design criteria, in fact. Two thousand and two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. So you see some old phones. much more efficient and reliable use of computers. We would swap uh, HTTP sessions so someone would get the wrong would, would get the wrong session. We'd switch it between between two two users. It's kind of cheesy but Research now going on will someday permit a network user to log in and not really care where his computation takes place. Back then, almost no messaging was encrypted. Um, it, was, it was really a, a very playful space. So yeah, that was a, quite a successful surveillance conspiracy, if you like. We, we, did, we, did, pieces, we did pieces all over, performances uh, like that, or interventions all over, the, all over the place. Europe, and especially in Tokyo, we had some very um, interesting responses. 
um, there. And we didn't actually come out of the closet, if you like, and say that we were the men in grey until the big exhibition um, here in, in, uh, in Berlin at the um, Academy de Kunst uh, very recently. And we had these devices, some of, some of which did function and others which didn't. Um, anyway, I, I wanted to talk about uh, the GSM side of things um, a bit, but um, I don't have uh, time, unfortunately, today to do that. So I, I will just finish with... Um, I'll finish with this piece. So this is um, by Dania Vasiliev and myself um, in 2011. We, we were lucky enough to get the, the Golden Nika at Ars Electronica for this. It was, it was, a, um, it was a great project to develop. Um, back in the, in the era where, um, where there was none of these sort of niche decker kind of wall-wart routers, um, we just simply wanted to explore if we could hide in plain sight a, a, a very small device that would manipulate um, the topology of a wireless network allowing the owner of that device that's plugged it into the wall in a cafe or whatever to go to, say, Kuala Lumpur, Toronto, Canada, Auckland, New Zealand, and from the comfort of their um, two-star hotel, their mum's um, basement or whatever, they could manipulate the news on that wireless hotspot. So you can literally change the, the news read on people's laptops and tablets and, and, and phones um, uh, by, uh, by way of this, of this device. And this is a, a kind of a classic man-in-the-middle attack. Um, but really, the, the idea was that, was that a wireless um, access point becomes something of a, of a reality bubble of its own. If you can plug it in at a, at a, at a, um, at a, at a cafe or you know, a restaurant or a library, maybe even an airport, you can change election results and sporting results, and people walk out with a very, very different view. Um, nat naturally, this is, uh, this is obviously a comment on the kind of top-down hegemony of the, of the press and the distribution of, of fact, if you like. And so it allows... a uh, an owner of this device to be able to manipulate the press and, if you, if you like, fix back the facts. Um, we called it News Tweak, um, which Newsweek weren't very happy about because back then it, their logo did really look like this. And, um, you know, we had this sort of poster campaign and stuff. Um, and it's the most boring-looking object in the, in the world. I mean, it's designed to be completely and utterly um, innocuous. I'm just going to play a video, um, and I think we can end there uh, today. You get a sense of it in, in the video as to, as to how it's deployed and, and also how it's put together. Um. It's not like people think they're being subject to propaganda. If people don't think that, they aren't looking for that, they're much easier to propagandize. And that's the genius of our media system.
media is the nervous system of a democracy. If it's not functioning well, the democracy can't function. So I'll leave it there. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks. Julian Oliver. Uh, there we go. Do you want to do a Q&A? I do, actually. That'd be nice. Yes, you do. Perfect. So do we have questions from the audience? Oh. <laughs> Don't be sure. The right Do you have a question for the audience? No, the, um, it's, 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 that wasn't quite enough time. I think there's someone is debating at the back okay, there. Okay, yes, we have a question. And we have questions over there. Perfect. Yeah, um, I was wondering whether you, whether you could speak about the... So there's this idea from the Enlightenment period of the universe being fundamentally noble. And you can kind of trace that all the way to this kind of desire to be able to follow as you showed in the gramophone, the, the kind of the, the, the information made from small to big. And when you look at the wireless world that we exist in, of course, they, we're now clutching at met metaphors to describe that. But that in itself is not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, because in a sense, the metaphorical understanding of the universe is one that embraces the fact that it's fundamentally unknowable. And I, um, I, it'd be interesting to hear how you can kind of reconcile that sort of fundamental unknowability with the desire to peel back the layers that lie behind the unknowability, if you see what I mean. And whether it's actually possible to retain a, a social framework, a language of metaphor, and still, um, uh, uh, and still keep this, this aspect of being able to peel back and reveal something behind it all. I think, um, a good question, I think that, uh, that the, the whole time uh, science is in fact engaged in its, in its, own, in its own quest or, or quest of quests, um, it is reliant through that peeling back on, on metaphor. In fact, n the naming of any part or anything is so often uh, drawing upon a, a pre-existent uh, referent, you know, such that we can, 
we can better understand it. With network technology, we might say, you know, we have a switch, we have a, we have a router. Um, even antenna itself um, was never um, a, a, a radio thing prior to, the, obviously, the discovery of, of radio. An antenna was, was, um, was something that, that, that represented a, a, a transmission or carriage or reception of, of any sort. And we, we've, we are, in fact, um, uh, always reliant, I think, on, on, on that, that game of naming. But nonetheless, um, that doesn't detract from the, 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 um, the, the broader gain of people being able to, therefore, think through it and with it um, poetically, um, discursively, um, critically, and creatively. And I think that we, we don't have to lose that, that social conversation that we enjoy so much in other more cultural areas um, when looking at, at, at engineering and the many different disciplines of engineering. It's just a, it's, it's how we talk about it. There's so much there to fascinate that um, we don't need to, I think, dress it up in any more metaphor necessarily um, all, all the time. Sometimes, yes, but I mean, in, in general, I think it's, it's just, it just ought to be taught. Taught to be taught in schools, just like, for instance, the, the wonders of the solar system, um, uh, botanical sciences, you know, the <laughs> it just is, is as simple as that, I would say. I think there was another question right next to you, right? So, where's the next question? Use your right of broadcast. <laughs> Well, limited, but use it. <laughs> okay, so if we don't have any questions left, then we will close that session. Thank you. Cheers. Julian Oliver. <laughs>